Hey, Joe. Hey, Jim. What's up? <laughs> Not much, man. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm doing well. Got That's some good. things Plugs. to talk about. Oh, good. I, I didn't prepare. That's okay. Yeah, I didn't prepare at all. Uh, but there's plenty uh, plenty rattling around in my brain mm. um, to talk about. So. Okay. Yeah. So what's up? What's rattling around in your brain? Um, well... You know, things have been happening in my life, mm. and uh, I've been I've been looking at motorcycles, Joe. Right. I'm looking to buy a motorcycle. Yeah, we've discussed this a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Life. I think there's there's some folks that have been getting into the motorcycle life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went for a ride recently on a uh, Osaka CB200, which is a tiny little bike. Because you have your license, right? Yes, yes. I've had my license for years. Um, I used to drive my, uh, or ride my father's gold wing in 85. Oh, right, right, wing. right, right. I remember that now. Cause uh, yeah. 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 I crashed it. That was bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you laid that thing over <laughs> anywho, <laughs> because I'm a small human and that bike is not for a small human like myself is or um, is or was. It, it was a big. It's a big bike. It's big. It, bike. It's still. Is, it's still around. It's, it's still around. around. Yeah, that it needs was my repairs, question. But um, my father got a boat that year, um, right. so he kind of laid off the bike, um, the boat. You know, that takes money to maintain. So yeah, him and my brother have putting their been putting their resources into the boat rather than fixing the bike. He they use the boat a ton, so it's kind of you know trade offs. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've been thinking about getting back in the game of riding. Some of our mutual friends have been riding lately and have like, you know, these, you know, mid-sized, pretty old bikes, most of them, you know, late 70s, early 80s. So I've been looking into a bike like that and the price range is pretty low. Right. Um, but they're old bikes and one has to learn how to repair said bikes in order to ride those really without spending a lot of money. Um, that's the whole point. But I've been thinking lately, um, maybe I take that cash money that I was going to allocate to a bike and shift it to a new, um, computing device Mm. of some sort. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I've been thinking about that for a while too. And, um, so I have the, uh, you know, the Apple Barclays card, and I just recently got an email that tells me um, if I make a new purchase on my card, I will get the same intro promotional period for it. Right, and also free beats because it's back to school. And free beats, yep. Although I don't know if you have to be a student to get that. I'm I'm not entirely sure that. I mean, I got the email that says gear up for school, get beats as a bonus, but it might say that I need to. Right. I'm seeing Have shop that. with education pricing and save even more, including a 20% discount on Apple Care Plus. I wonder if my URI email still works. <laughs> Anywho, so I've been looking at that because my computer that I am currently running, mm. I bought for school in 2010. Which, you know, is, in case people don't know, was nine years ago. That was a long time ago, and uh, last night my computer got pissed on, 
because I live in a frat house. And, no, I'm just kidding. My cat pissed <laughs> on my computer um, that was sitting at the foot of my bed. So that's fun. It still works. I'm on it right now. Um, it smells a little like cat piss. Mm, that's what and you want. I think it's time to replace it. So anyway, I'm looking at whether I want a Mac Mini. Mm-hmm. Because it's a powerful thing, mm-hmm. semi-powerful thing, relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I want a MacBook Air. Right. And uh, I would pair that in this splurging process with probably a reasonably nice microphone so mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. uh, continue to have good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, on this here yeah, I mean that new MacBook Air is is a nice device. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm gonna look into that. So that's uh, that's something that's been in, on my mind. Um, and they just lowered the price. I don't know if you heard. Uh, I didn't know that. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I'm on the Apple website. MacBook Air, starting at nine ninety nine. Yeah, I think it was ten ninety nine before. Yeah, but I, I'd get the big boy. You know the big. What do you mean? Uh, a, meaning the two fifty six gigabyte storage as opposed to the one twenty eight. Right, I think that's a worth worthwhile thing. Yeah. Um, why don't you? Uh, can you go to the Apple menu on your computer? Yeah. And click about this Mac. Oh yeah. Do you want to put it on the record? What. Uh, generation of mac i have here um well no i was gonna maybe this is not a good idea i was gonna have you read the serial number over the air because there's a apple trade-in offer and you can get up to fourteen hundred dollars off when you trade in an eligible computer this computer is a piece of garbage right but you know will i get any money for it like the bottom is falling off it's got like the rubber bottom read me the serial number all right, you can uh, you can bleep this out, right? Yeah, sure. For opsec purposes, yeah. So Op-sec. it's uh, you ready? Mm-hmm. 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 Eight P W. Says the serial number is invalid. Let w- me make those cap. Let me make those. Let me make those capital. Oh, yeah, those are capital. All the letters. Serial number is invalid. Try again. Is it? Is that zero and O? Nope, definitely a zero. Well, never mind then. <laughs> it's too old. It's not even included in the trade-in program. It doesn't even have a hard drive in it anymore. Right, we did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, this needs replacement, and I think that's what I'm going to splurge on because you know I've got, I've got other things in my life that a new working, all-around computer would be excellent for, both uh, professionally and recreationally. Have you considered an iMac? I have considered an iMac. 
See, so I'm wondering how much the portability is a factor because I'm just going to be getting one device right now. If I were right. getting two devices, absolutely, I would get an iMac and an iPad, right? Right, 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 I, right. I love the iPad. I love iOS. I would prefer to use iOS uh, iPad for literally OS. everything. Well, you know what I mean. The mobile OS. Is there actually a difference? They just really like the newest release is changing the name to iPad OS, okay, signifying yeah. that it's going to be different over time. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch the Dob Dob DC. Yeah, Dob Dob. Yeah, I shouldn't reference other podcasts here. We're not popular enough. Um, yeah, so I would absolutely. I love the iPad. I would absolutely. I had one for work at my previous job, and I used it all the time. Mm-hmm. for literally everything had a nice little keyboard on it it was great um, you know the ipads are not that expensive like i could just get an ipad or get some kind of you know you should get device you should get a you should get a mac mini and an ipad <laughs> might not be a bad idea Yeah, it's got, you know, it's cheaper than, you could probably pull that off cheaper than you could uh, a MacBook Air with what you want. Really? Mm, no. Now, what's the deal with, like, so if I get a Mac Mini, the only difference between the low price point and the high price point is what exactly? Storage space? RAM? Storage space processor. So, but what you could do is get the lower price point and then upgrade the storage hard space drive. by itself. Yeah. Could I just get an ex- have an external hard drive, like generic ass, like external yeah, hard I drive, mean, I don't and have all the space not. in the world? Like I could have a terabyte if I wanted to. Yeah, you could definitely do that because it's a stationary device. You can just leave it plugged in all the time. Yeah. That might not be a bad idea. Yeah, because I've been wanting to do like a home centralized like backup thing. Or like mm. where all of my data is stored. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Like, well, not just data, but like, you know, like a backup for like my... Uh, like an actual like... Like all my photos, like all of that shit just like yeah. in one place like an actual hard like representation of those things yeah what i do is i, I pay six dollars a month for backblaze not a sponsor yeah. yeah bleep that out they don't give us money we can't uh be giving yeah. them free advertising space mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway this is a tech podcast um, this is now a tech podcast. Yeah. Welcome to No Pamphlet, everybody. Welcome to No Pamphlet. Yeah. That, let's, <laughs> let's introduce let's, uh, the let's, idea here. <laughs> let's break the fourth wall for this, uh, yeah. for this first Hello. episode. Hello, world. Um, this is a podcast. It's called No Pamphlet. And it's, um, you know, a discussion between my friend here, Joseph, and Hello. me, Jim. Hello. Um, about things for which uh, topics... For which a pamphlet is not sufficient to cover 
said topic. Is that it? Did I say it right? Yeah, that's that's all right. I mean, there's no pamphlet for these things, man. There's no pamphlet. This is life. There, you know, there might be a pamphlet, but I mean, there's no pamphlet for my life, and that's what part of what we're going to be discussing. There's no pamphlet for your life, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's a pamphlet for most. Uh, I don't think a pamphlet satisfactorily covers most any topic. So, sky's the limit here. So here we are. Here we are. No pamphlet. Welcome. Welcome. We're going to start with a discussion of what computers Jim should buy for the podcast. Yeah, for the podcast. I I also have, you know... What else do you have? What else do you have to do? Um, you know, I I have many ideas for... Many, many, many ideas for um, professional development and businesses and whatnot that I think mm-hmm. a relatively powerful computer would be helpful. Um, or just something that isn't nine years old. Or just something that isn't nine years old, yeah. Like, I, I, I struggle with this computer. I don't have an iPad anymore. I almost exclusively use my phone, which I have a iPhone XR, which is great. I love my phone, but, um, you know, I need something. I need something to do things on it. Um, yeah. I also like playing RuneScape which this computer mm. totally handles. Um, yeah, I believe it does. Yeah, it's like a nothing game, but, you it's know. It's an old game. It's an old game. It's an old game. It's a great game. I love that game. I'm a nerd. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, also the new MacBook Pro. Yeah. Starting at 12.99. Yeah. Well, so like this is the thing. Am I getting one device or two devices? Right, and if I get one device, I'm gonna think I'm gonna lean toward a laptop, I guess. Yeah, because I mean that gives you the flexibility. You have the laptop, yeah. and you can plug it into an external monitor if you have it. All that stuff. Mhm. So, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, so, we'll, uh, so we'll no, think about it. I'll go with whatever you suggest. <laughs> so no motorcycle. So, yeah, I'm thinking no motorcycle. You know, and yeah, so the, the finish, to finish that thought uh, about the motorcycle is, you know, I would love to go riding to purely, like, buy the bike, go ride with my friends. It's like a one-track thing. You know, it's very simple. <clears throat> it's straightforward. That's all I'm going to get out of the bike. Lots of enjoyment, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, but it's, a, it's a whole thing. And Oh, right. And my point at the end of that was, um, and it's related to, like, you know, having all these projects going on that I want a computer for. Um, I need to prioritize these things. And the bike is kind of a whim as opposed to, like, these projects that are long-term that I want to work on and develop. And I feel much more strongly about those. And right. I don't think I'm going to spend the time required to learn how to maintain an old ass motorcycle and then maintain it and then go riding i'd rather spend that same time like podcasting or and writing business plans and uh 
educating myself on the various topics that I think will help me develop my professional life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to work on those things. And I think that's a much higher priority. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, so, and then, you know, when eventually I like am in a position where maybe I have more money, I can just buy a new bike or relatively new that will require less maintenance. I mean, it requires maintenance, but it will require less like, um, focus on like just repairs and like all that shit. So I think I'll get more use out of a new computer. Computer is something I need and my current one is a decade old. Mm-hmm. Oh. So that's uh, that's where we're at. We don't need to uh, decide what computer I'm buying yet uh, on this podcast because this is this is not a tech podcast. Not a tech podcast. No, we just started talking about Apple things, but not a tech podcast. Um, I'm just checking to see um, how much my computer would be worth trading in. $1,165. That's pretty good. What computer do you have? I have a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Mm. Yeah, I purchased it while I was working for the fruit company. Oh, the fruit company. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. You get a nice uh, little discount there. 25%, which is pretty pretty solid. Pretty, pretty nice. Uh, pretty and I, nice. And I decided to take as much advantage of that as I could by buying the higher end huh. model. Yeah, it wasn't uh it's a good idea. It's served me well, although it's got keyboard problems as a lot of them do, and the screen has a weird discoloration. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. But this isn't a tech podcast, so this is not, no, it's not a tech podcast. Mm-mm. I'm looking at the iPad. <laughs> the 9.7 inch standard ass iPad. I didn't realize it was this cheap. It's really cheap. Hmm. I think I might get it. That and uh, the small um, Mac Mini. Mac Mini. But this is not a tech podcast, and I'm not going to buy it while we're on the air, because that's just crazy talk right there. That would be crazy. It's, you know, you have a a card that gives you free financing for the, you know, foreseeable future. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't buy it on air. That would be crazy. I just, I'm not doing that, Joe. <laughs> Get out of here. Oy vey. But, yeah, so, those are things that are happening. I also, like... Like a motorcycle's just, it's just dangerous. Yeah, I want that's one, another thing. And I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel uh, particularly um, confident in myself and my ability to safely drive a motorcycle right now. Right. Where does that, where does that feeling come from? Um, well, just, as you know. I mean, in, in summation, you know, I've like been trying to figure out my, uh, 
my path specifically you know professionally mm-hmm. and I feel like over time under pressure I can't trust myself to be confident in a moment when it's necessary for my own and for my own like um, ability if that makes sense like my my uh, ability to succeed I feel like when under pressure I just kind of crumble or have mm. been crumbling so that's another aspect of it yeah well pressure is a pressureish thing riding a motorcycle is something that's inherently dangerous you need to be confident and you need to be audacious mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not really those things right now right so well these things they come and they go mm-hmm so maybe in the future, but right now, more importantly, is the computer you're gonna buy. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. Um, doing some self care, you know. Um, Cassidy, my fiance. You can bleep that name out if you want for opsec purposes. Mm. This is a heavily edited podcast. Um, just bought a um, an electric drum set. Mm-hmm. Somewhat of a whim. Um, whims are whims. Whims are whims. I mean, but, I mean, she's been thinking about it for months, so not that much of a whim. She wants to learn how to play the drums. And you know what? A good way to learn is to get a drum set where you can put headphones on and no one else has to hear it. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's what she did. And, you know, we discussed it. We both were decided, like, she was going to get a drum set and I was going to get a motorcycle. We're like, we can afford to do this simple little thing. They cost about roughly the same treat treat yourself you know we're having a year where everything's cranked up to 11 getting married Mm -hmm. we get uh we got farms starting multiple farms multiple farms multiple farms plants in the ground plants in the ground we got a hemp farm we got a seed sown yep yep seed sown well transplants but you know yeah well you know it sounds better when you say seeds yeah, we're sowing our wild oats. And, uh, you know, we got things going on. We got, we're shucking and jiving. You know, moving and grooving. We're moving and grooving. You know, we're, uh, we're trying to enjoy life while we can. Because it only lasts so long, buddy. Mm, this is true. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to trade that motorcycle for a new, uh, some new computing devices or device. Yeah, I think. Well, the, the the issue is, where would you put the Mac Mini? Where would you, you know, where do you... Yeah, well, right now, I have some Where are you notes. sitting right now? Oh, right now, I'm in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the softest room I think I have right now. There's, like, blankets and stuff in here, so I thought it would be right. good for recording. Um, but, yeah, no, I have a spare bedroom uh, in which a couple of our mutual friends are staying. Um, but they're only here until... The end of this month, which is July of 2019. So, I mean, it, it would go in that room. Right. When they leave. That's also where the drum set is going to go. Right now it's in our living room. Right. 
So, so end of that'll July, be kind of a another recreation room. Yeah. 18 days, 18 days yeah. is being recorded on the 13th of July. It's Saturday. Yeah. And, you know, I'm acutely aware of when the end of the month is. I'm sure you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you like to share as to why that is such an important date for you, Joseph? Yeah, I'm taking the California bar so that people know mm-hmm. if this is ever heard by anybody. Yeah, that's that's the plan. You're going to take the bar. You're going to practice law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I think is probably going to be somewhat of a topic on this show Uh uh Um, as it goes. I've got a a case today to talk about a little bit. Ooh. Yeah, let's talk about something interesting. Okay. Please, let's get off this topic of my fucking computers. So did you know, did you know, did you know that the railroads were nationalized during World War I? The railroads were nationalized during World War One. I. I didn't know, but that that kind of makes sense. Yeah, they took they seized control of the railroads in order to better serve the economy during oh, wartime. So the the railroads were private organizations that were mm-hmm. then seized by the government. Mm-hmm. The government took control over them. of which. Oh wow! Total control. That's something. Wow. Imagine that happening today. Right? It's hard to imagine. Yeah. You know, there were things that led up to it. There was uh, this thing called the Hepburn Act, which gave the um, Interstate Commerce Committee power to regulate fair, just, and reasonable passenger and shipping rates charged by Mm -hmm. the railroads. Mm -hmm. Um, This is sort of part of the progressive era to a certain degree where there was a lot of fervor about the power of corporations and the, you know, implementation of antitrust rules and things like that. And um, there was more labor activity throughout through 1916, and Congress sought to head off the strike with the passage of the Adamson Act, which gave some unionized railroad workers a standard eight-hour workday. So this was the beginning of an eight-hour workday for railroad workers. Wow in 1916 huh um and then that eight-hour workday that restriction on the ability of people to contract was ruled unconstitutional in a lower court but the supreme court overruled the lower court because congress has a power which inevitably resulted from its authority to protect interstate commerce Hmm. so the the co- Congress has plenary power to regulate interstate commerce. It's one of the enumerated powers under the mm-hmm. Constitution. Yeah. So basically, they set standards for, you know, highways and railways, and that power basically gives them constitutional authority to do basically anything they want. When if it regards interstate commerce like there's this um well-known case called wickard b phil wickard b v philborn philburn that um they i think it was during the great depression they had put limits on the amount of wheat that you could grow in order to keep the prices high so they didn't Mm -hmm. get a glut a glut in the market 
and this farmer, I forget where exactly, um, Philburn was growing wheat for his personal consumption. And his argument yeah. was that Congress didn't have the authority to regulate his activity because it was not for interstate commerce. It was for um, his personal consumption. So it was purely interstate. And so Congress had no authority. Huh. But the Supreme Court ruled that they did have the authority because his growing the wheat kept him from entering the market for wheat, oh. which affected interstate commerce. And if it, it led to this idea where you can aggregate the uh, actions of individuals in order to find an effect on interstate commerce. Yeah. Because if everybody was growing wheat for their personal consumption, then the market would collapse because there wouldn't be a demand sufficient Ooh, to maintain the required prices. Weird. Mm-hmm. That's really bizarre. Yeah, and that was actually the argument used for the Affordable Care Act as well, although it was not found to be with merit by the Supreme Court. That by not participating in the healthcare market, you are affecting interstate commerce and therefore have the authority to regulate but that was found to be unconstitutional and it proceeded under the tax and spend power because the penalty for not having insurance was uh, a tax penalty so it was a tax that raised revenue huh. so it was therefore a legal tax hmm. so yeah um Basically, because railroads are instrumentalities of interstate commerce, Congress had plenary power to regulate the length of the workday for the workers involved in that activity. And this is the result of, you know, huge labor strikes and or labor activity and, you know, striking and different things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they nationalized the railroads during World War One, and during the federal monopoly over the railroad system, more than 100,000 railroad cars were built using standardized designs, and an estimated $1 billion was invested in the transportation systems. Wow. Which, by inflation, is about $20 billion today. That's insane. But by percentage of the gross national product it's significantly higher um the gross national product in 1917 was 55 billion dollars roughly i think there are some different estimates but a figure that i found was 55 billion dollars mm -hmm. and today the gross national product is 19.61 trillion dollars wow yeah it's a lot it's orders of magnitude mm-hmm um, so $1 billion in 1917 as a relation to the gross uh, national product is equivalent to $356,545,454,545 weird dollars. That's a, it's a weird string of numbers though. Three, five, six, yeah. five, four, five, four, five, four, five, four, five weird and that's about half of our military budget 
about half about half yeah. just over half just over half per year per year so that was an that was the investment that in was a crazy roads. huge investment in uh um infrastructure right there right it's a huge infrastructure, infrastructure bill yeah right can you imagine spending that much on infrastructure now mm. Because I, I don't see that happening. It'd be nice. It'd be nice if that could happen without sort of the squabbling over who gets the win. Yeah. But that's that's tough, you know, because people don't want to hand a political victory to their political enemies. <sighs> that's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why working together never happens. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, so then, anyways, it was nationalized during World War One, and then it was turned back over into the private sector in 1920. Um, but in that process, the government expanded the powers of the international uh, sorry interstate commerce committee and established collective bargaining systems within yeah. the railroad industry and um one thing that was left over one huge benefit that occurred during the nationalization was they came up with a standardized set of statistics about the operations of um railroad systems mhm and so by standardizing the, the collection of those statistics over the entire industry, that was then passed on to the private industry afterwards and with reporting requirements to the government that were based on those sort of statistical models that were developed during the nationalization. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a agency that oversaw the nationalization of the railroad system was called the United States Railroad Administration mm -hmm. and they created an operating statistics section in 1918 and instructed it to arrange for and supervise the making of standardized reports and statistics pertaining to the maintenance and operation of railroads under federal controls and to make such compilations of statistics as may be required hmm. so basically what that means is to make a standardized set of forms that have to be filled out and filed during the course of operating a railroad. Huh. So you have to say, you know, how many gross tons of, of freight are you hauling? How many miles, you know, all sorts of different statistics about what you were doing in a way that could be compiled to give insight into the efficiency, like how efficiently you're using your cars, how efficiently you're using your locomotives, how efficiently you're moving stuff from point A to point B along yeah. these tracks. And what would that information be? I mean, that information would be used to inform some decisions, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. About regulating the railroads? or About regulating the railroads and about the individual actions of the railroads because they could see how they were doing in compa in comparison to other railroads or other operators or other, you know, 
exchange stations, what what have you, at uh-huh. all these different yeah. levels, they now had insight into their operations as compared to other people's operations, which gave them incentives to improve and let them know where they could look for techniques in order to mm-hmm. improve. So this, I, I, just, I don't know, I'm just fascinated by the way that this collection of data that starts with the design of data collection forms yeah. leads to these increased abilities to ba- you know understand the work that you're doing and understand how and who to how you're doing it and who to talk to about improving and it just it's it sort of is this feedback loop that creates yeah. more efficiency and more productivity for a given set of inputs and i I just i find it fascinating that all of that comes from you know the nationalization of critical infrastructure during wartime yeah i mean yeah that is wild it seems like a really constructive use of government power in retrospect but can you imagine the government seizing anything right now like in this day and age and like in order to do a constructive thing even if it's not whether it's during wartime or not like i just don't see that uh working out like politically in this environment we're living in right now like yeah it's and i don't know if it would be the best thing right now like it depends on what we're talking about. Like, if we're talking about uh, health insurance, um, yeah, fuck private health insurance companies. Right. Uh, that's that's the fact that in health insurance is private, and prisons, by the way, um, the fact that those things are private organizations is like absolutely um, insane to me. It's heinous. You know, it's heinous. Yeah. Well, you think about like the motivation to for profit, right? Like. There's there's laws that require leaders and companies to do what's best for their shareholders. They're not legally required to do what's best for the public, right? So if you own a prison, you're legally obligated to like get as many prisoners in there as possible, essentially. Yeah, through you're whatever means doing, necessary. Yeah, like you're not doing your job unless you're making these prisons profitable. So that means getting more people in there or spending less money on, you know... Um, uh, care or whatever for the prisoners like uh, when you have an insurance company you're, the point of your company is to pay for medical um, procedures as little as possible <laughs> like yeah to collect as many premiums as possible and pay out as little as is possible yeah you're legally required to do that it, that's it's it seems absolutely backwards to me because the point of insurance should be like to spread everybody risk. pays a, yeah that it's socialized like risk right like it's 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 distributed to everybody because everybody agrees that well not everybody agrees but <laughs> like if everybody pays a certain amount at a reasonable cost certain people yeah require more care than others in this pool but that's the whole point of the pool is like you never know yeah 
when you could be the one that gets into a car accident and need emergency medical care or like whatever um it's all about motivation but like could you imagine seeing the government like seizing control of like private health uh, insurance well private health insurance yes that's a different thing like hell yeah they should but like something like um all the airlines like yeah we're just gonna you know all interstate and international commerce that uh uses um any airline we're just gonna seize control of all those private companies um because this is wartime and we need to regulate and like manage um distribution of goods and whatnot like everybody would lose their fucking minds yeah. Over that. But I don't know. I feel like if I mean, we were I don't in... think that's that the I don't envision a situation where that would necessarily be a good thing right now, but it's just like funny to think of it. Like, yeah. that, like comparatively but I feel, to I feel like if we were in the sort of total war situation that arose like in during World War 1, the World Wars. Yeah. I'm not sure. I feel like it would be possible. I don't know. Right? Because the wars, the wars we have today are distant. silent. They're distant and silent. Yeah. Relatively. But, but if there was I, actually a feeling of a, like, threat of full-on, like, battles taking place on American soil, yeah, maybe it's different. Yeah. I feel like it would be. But it's hard to say. Yeah. Like, when's yeah. the last time there was actually a battle fought on U.S. soil? Um, I want to say like the Spanish-American War. I guess if you include Pearl Harbor as a battle. Like, yeah, it was an invasion, right? It was a attack on American soil. I think that might... I mean, you know, nine eleven isn't right. Like, but do you count do you count attacks as battles? I I, I don't, I don't really. know. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the big jarring things about nine eleven was that it was like, you know, the first time Americans had experienced something like that in a very long time. Yeah, feeling like there was like a immediate threat on their safety, safety and bodies. Yeah. So, yeah. in I think 1920, the railroads were returned to the private sector, mm-hmm. and then there were some several cutbacks in wages and thing and uh, sort of worker concessions that had been won during the war. Mm-hmm. And there was a great railroad strike in 1922. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the government worked pretty staunchly to quell the strike because it Mm -hmm. was hugely important for the railroads to run on time. Yeah. Um, And actually, a lot of the unions had denied membership to African-American workers and so they ended up hiring a lot of African American workers because they had no solidarity with the unions. Oh. 
Right. So they were not involved in the work stoppage because they had been denied membership to this to the organization. Union. Yeah. So, you know, undermines right. undermines the power of the unions to not practice cross-racial solidarity. Yeah, totally. Did that incentivize the unions to then accept black workers? Um, not sure. Seems like it would. You would think. Because the unions have much less power if that's the case, right? You know, if they don't. Depending on the percentage of workers that are black versus not black. You know, if there's a lower percentage of their unionized workers in the workforce, they've got less power as an organization. Right. Let's see. I'm seeing... Mm-hmm. There's an article I'm seeing about African Americans and the American labor movement. But I don't think should read it online read it on air. Mm-hmm. No. Now I'd imagine that there was not a lot of learning that occurred from the black strike breakers because my understanding is that black people were in a large part cut out from the programs of the new deal. Right. And that occurred following this activity. Right. So, I don't think so. But, Hmm. anywho, Anywho. there was sections of track were occasionally disrupted with explosives. There was vigilante violence that was particularly acute in the South and the Southwest, where kidnappings and floggings of strike breakers were common. Uh Uh-huh. And then there was this guy, who will come back later. His name is Doherty. Um... I forget his first name, but his last name is Doherty, and he was the attorney general at the time. Mm-hmm. And he sensationally charged strikers with conducting a conspiracy worthy of Lenin and Zinoviev. What? Yeah, I don't know who Zinoviev is, but basically Red Scare, conspiracy worthy of Lenin. And sent he sent U.S. marshals into the field to aid the railroads in their efforts to defend their property and defeat the strike. Hmm. Um, ultimately, the strike ended when Doherty obtained an injunction from this judge, James Wilkerson, that uh, effectively banned striking, assembling, picketing, and various other uni- union activities. Yeah. And uh, that judge was appointed just a few weeks before the injunction based on the advocacy of the Attorney General Doherty. And um, the lawyer in that case, the lawyer for the union said, quote, 
to call this proceeding and its method and result due process of law, to justify the denial of constitutional rights of the defendants by this judicial finding based on ex parte affidavits, seems to me to disregard the fundamental principles of our system of laws, as well as to exercise a power specifically denied the federal courts. An act of Congress was passed in order to prevent the very deprivation of liberty and property which is here accomplished. End quote. Hmm. Yeah, so basically saying it was a pig circus. <laughs> yeah. So he won this injunction. So this guy, Doherty. Definitely anti-union, definitely anti-progressive. Yeah. He then went on to um, be embroiled in a scandal, the second scandal of Harding's administration, the first being the strike and how it was handled, and the second being what culminated in this case called McGrain v. Doherty. Mm-hmm. It was a, an investigation of the Department of Justice in response to the Teapot Dome scandal. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. Well, it's teapot the... Teapot Dome? Mm-hmm. It's a scandal during the 1920s where the Secretary of the Interior named Albert Bacon Fall took bribes in order to lease, in exchange for leasing the Navy Petroleum Reserves mm-hmm. at you know, Teapot Dome, Wyoming, and two other locations in California Mm -hmm. to private oil companies at low rates without competitive bidding. Explain that. So he leased, he gave below market leases to oil fields, to private industry because they bribed him. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. And he went to prison for accepting the bribes though this was the first secretary of the ca- of a cabinet to go to prison. Hmm. I think there's been two. I was going to ask, was he the last as well? No. No, there's been two since. Or and two. Then, I think there was a second one. Um, cabinet members in jail. Oh, this is too long. (laughs) So there have been many, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, these are all members of federal, all federal politicians convicted of crimes, not just cabinet members. Oh, okay. So those are different things. Yeah. Um,. Lieutenant Michael Flynn, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, National Security Advisor, pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI in 2017. Mm-hmm. So, National Security Advisor, is that a cabinet-level position? No, Senior Aide to the Executive Office of the President. Yeah. Currently occupied by John Bolton. Yep, sure is. Sure is. But yeah, so... They investigated the Department of Justice for basically not investigating the crimes related to the Teapot Dome scandal. Huh. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Doherty eventually resigned because of this case, among various charges of misfeasance and nonfeasance. Um, misfeasance and nonfeasance. Mm-hmm. Is that like for his conduct and his misconduct? His miscon his misconduct and his failure to act. Okay. Nonfeasance is failure to act. Yeah. But yeah, he failed to prosecute violations of the Sherman Antitrust Act and the Clayton Act against monopolies and unlawful restraint of trade. Yeah. Um, There were suspicions that he was involved in the Teapot Dome scandal, and his brother, Mally S. Doherty, was president of the Midland National Bank of Washington. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was an institution, that was a bank that was suspected of being involved in the scandal. Uh huh. So, what happened was Congress passed a resolution to investigate that and set up a committee of five senators, mm-hmm. enabled to send, quote, send for books and papers, to subpoena witnesses, to administer oaths, and to sit at such times and places as it might deem advisable, end quote. Hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> it basically is, is setting out the powers that this committee of five senators has in order to investigate the misfeasance and nonfeasance of the Department of Justice and the Attorney General specifically. Uh-huh. And then they subpoenaed the brother of the AG, the Mally S. Doherty, and he failed to appear. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He refused the subpoena of Congress. And that's illegal. That's illegal, but that was the question of this case, was what power does Congress, Congress have to subpoena witnesses? And, like, who gives them that power to subpoena witnesses? Who, what were you saying? The Right, exactly. Where does that power yeah. come from? And the yeah. idea is that that power comes from... They're charged with legislating. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... Creating the laws that are then enforced by the judicial branch. The executive branch. The executive branch, I mean, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. In which the laws are interpreted by the judicial branch? Interpreted by the judicial branch, yes. And they handle cases and controversies. Yeah. Um, But... Basically, the court ruled that when testimony is material and necessary to obtain information necessary as a basis for such legislative and other action as the Senate may deem necessary and proper, mm-hmm. it's legitimate. So was this case found uh, to be legitimate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, Mr. Doherty, that didn't show up, was found criminally he was held in contempt of congress huh interesting Mm -hmm. what happened to him it's a good question i'm not sure but i don't know there's some really interesting people involved in the in the saga there was Senators named B.K. Wheeler and Smith W. Brookhart, who were 
attempting to enter Midland Bank to inspect the records, the bank that the Mally was president of. Mm-hmm. And a little information on them. B.K. Wheeler was he was a senator who was an independent Democrat and ran for vice president on the Progressive Party ticket led by Lafayette, who is a progressive leader. Lafayette is a progressive leader that I want to learn more about. Um, the, but at the time, the party was advocating progressive positions such as government ownership of railroads and electric mm-hmm. utilities, cheap yeah. credit for farmers, the outlawing of child labor, stronger laws to help labor unions, more protection of civil liberties, and an end to American imperialism in Latin America, and a referendum before any president could lead the nation into war. And then Smith W. Brookhart um, attempted to build his 1920 campaign for the Republican nomination for the Senate around his criticism of railroad regulatory legislation, who his opponent had co-authored, and he stated that it did too little to wrest ownership and control of railroads away from Wall Street interests. Mm-hmm. And he was elected in a special election in 1922 and then won by a small margin in 1924 during the regular election. But he was replaced by the Democratic candidate in a race by a 45 to 41 vote in the Senate. So the Senate apparently has the power to just seat whoever they want in the Senate. Hmm. They could just take a vote and say, this Senator, no way. Yeah. It says each house of Congress, article one, section five of the United States constitution provides that each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior. And with the concurrence of two thirds, expel a member. Huh. And since 1789, the Senate has expelled only 15 of its entire membership. 15 in total mm-hmm. in all of history. Mm-hmm. That's well, wild. Since 1789, when since the, 1789, yeah, the well. Constitution was ratified. Yeah. That's really something. Um, struggling, Brosif. Why? Why? It's, what's up? Dude, I'm just... I don't know, man. I just haven't found my niche. And I don't know. I don't know where it is. I don't feel squarely in a... Like, you know those little like slots with the star and the triangle and the fucking square and the circle? Mm-hmm. Stuff? I feel like I'm just like... I'm a piece of putty. That I, and I just like keep slamming myself into like one of those shapes and like it looks good but then you melt but then like you just fucking melt I don't know or like you know like you slam it in and it's like yeah like the if you have a big enough piece it'll, it'll like slam in and fit into that slot so it's like oh yeah like I'm occupying this space but it's like not you know cylindrical in that way where it's gonna like go all the way through there's like the butt of the putty that's just like kind of spilling over and like not letting me all the way through the fucking hole mm. do you know what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> can you visualize that yeah I can see that I can see that <laughs> so there's like the appearance of like taking shape and like being in something 
but I'm just not like slipping through and like really, you know, occupying that space. I don't know. Right. You're just sort of pushing to the edges of that space and then not feeling quite right. Quite right. Not feeling quite right. It's a, it's a tough thing to fucking it's a tough thing to uh, feel like um, you're actually excelling in something and not just kidding yourself ironically especially when you're surrounded by people who love you because there's it's hard to find people who love you who are also going to give you the real like I mean especially as someone with um, some amount of anxiety and depression like to find somebody who's going to be willing to tell you that like give you the tough love right and tell you like yeah you're fucking up you need to fix things or like, here's the action you should be taking, like, and hold you accountable, because no one wants to upset you. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how often we, I don't know how often we find that people tell us what to do in in adult life. No, I'm not looking for anyone to tell me what to do, but I just like look at people that tell me, like, you know, Jim, things, uh, like you know, you're a competent person or you are capable and you are able to do these things and succeed in your goals and all this stuff. And I could tell you all day, but you know, the reality is when you, when you don't personally feel that, like, what do you do? You know? And like, you look at these people and say like, they don't know what they're talking about because they just love me and don't want to upset me or they just love me and think, positive things about me but they're actually probably wrong <laughs> right <laughs> or not completely right they don't live in my head they don't know they don't know how incompetent i am yeah they don't know how incompetent i am and i'm not you know this isn't a pity party i'm not saying i'm incompetent like i i, I am competent at certain things but if i'm actually bad at something i don't think the people in my life who love me would actually tell me that right you know and like i need to make that decision for myself and i'm yeah. if i'm bad at something i need to like figure that out and whether it's um, you know, and like weigh that against, am I just being self-critical because of mental illness or am I like genuinely bad at something? And then on top of it, am I just unhappy with what I'm doing? And so unmotivated to get better at something? What have yeah. you? Yeah. I think that's a really hard <laughs> thing to decide. Like, uh, that's a lot of it, intersections. Yeah. It's, it's really another. difficult to determine whether you are being hypercritical due to a, a hang-up and a, an emotional problem, or if you're mm -hmm. actually bad at something. Yeah. Like, how do you differentiate between those things? And I think the answer might be to assume that you are good at everything, but that just seems... 
disingenuous. Disingenuous, yeah, that <laughs> seems oneself. wrong. It's not true <laughs> for anybody. Yeah. Nobody's good at everything. No. But, and like, you know, it, it's perfectly possible that, excuse me, everything I've found in my life so far that I feel a lack of confidence in, I'm just like, I've just not found something I'm really good at yet. <laughs> Or have not invested the time in the things that I'm actually good at yet. Yeah, and, that's the that's you know, the tough one for me. Is like yeah. I haven't invested the time to to be good at anything. And then like, what do I do with my time that isn't working towards being good at something? Yeah. Right. Like, how do I spend my time? Yeah. Couldn't I? Couldn't I spend my time? You know, actually getting good at something. Yeah. Like, is it about something that brings you joy? Because, like, maybe, you know, you don't need to be good at something if it brings you joy, right? Or, like, but, like, professionally, it's like you kind of need to be good at it. Like, in order to be successful and to, like, get paid by somebody, you need to be good at it. Yeah, you've got to be. Like, you can't be bad at your job. If you work for somebody else, if you're bad at your job, you're going to get fired. You've got to be passable. You don't have to be good. Most people aren't good Uh, at their job. Passable, yeah. I mean, good enough to keep your job, I guess. Which is where most people are, I think. Yeah, I suppose. We're, We're imperfect. We absolutely are. Yeah, well, that's true. But you can still be good at your job if you're not perfect all the time. Right. Like, and so, like, if that's the bar, like, good at your job is just being passable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Eh, I don't know. It's just tough to find those things. Sometimes you're good at something, but it just, like, butts up against what someone else's goals are in your professional life so it doesn't work out that's what happened I think with my last job right you know? I felt confident and I was good at my job but I had uh, you know just interpersonal issues that well one demotivated me and two um, just made for a um, unhealthy environment for my mental stability. <laughs> so, yeah, that that feels like a wasted opportunity, unfortunately. But I mean, you learned. Yeah, I, I did. I developed some skills, and I'm certainly better off. I can re-enter that industry relatively easily. And that's sort of where you're looking, right? Yeah, yeah. How about that Facebook fine? What's that? The FTC fined Facebook $5 billion. For what? Privacy violations tied to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Oh, no shit. I didn't know about that. Their stock actually went up after the news because it was 
a relatively small fine, even though it's the biggest fine in FTC history. <laughs> oh my god. Basically a month of Facebook's revenue. <laughs> oh god. They make a lot of money. They make a lot of money. That's that's crazy. Other elements to the settlement. Facebook will have to document how it plans to use data before it launches new products. And executives like Zuckerberg will have to promise the company has protected user privacy. Hmm. Representative David Cicilline is calling it a Christmas present. Uh, uh, why? Because it's such a low fine. <laughs> Good old Rep Cicilline. Senator Mark Warren says it's time for Congress to act. Elizabeth Warren is calling for them to break up Facebook. How does one break up Facebook? I think the easiest way is to spin off Instagram and WhatsApp. So, like, yeah, companies that Facebook has acquired, just, like, break it up. Yeah. Let's see, what's Elizabeth Warren's plan? Doesn't have an explicit plan on her page. She wants to end Washington corruption, rebuild the middle class, strengthen our democracy, and provide equal justice under the law, and establish a foreign policy for all. Hmm. What else is going on in your life, Jim? <sighs> Good question. Well... Yeah, I don't know. Everything. Everything's going on. This year's cranked up to 11. This whole year. Everything in it. It's all like lots of balls in the air. Lots of balls in the air. Waiting for the balls to drop. And the other shoe. Yeah, no, it's like we started this year with an armful of balls. We just threw them all up. Now we're like trying to catch them one at a time. Yeah, I've got to figure out your bachelor party. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting married this year. That's a ball. That's a big ball. Big fat ball. Big old ball. Mm-hmm. Big fat ball. I'm becoming a hemp farmer. I've got 700 hemp plants in my yard right now. 700? Yeah. So, how much space is that again? It's just under a quarter acre, like just about a quarter acre. Yeah, pretty relatively tight spacing considering um, because we basically started late in the year, right? Like they just got put in the ground like this past week. You would typically plant them as soon as ground temperatures are above 50 or 60. So it would have been mid-May early june right but mm -hmm. didn't get it until july 10th july 10th i think was the day yeah which is also a stoner holiday is it yeah because if you take 710 and flip it upside down it spells oil mm. so it's like a lot of marijuana businesses have like 
dabs and stuff on sale, concentrates. Right. Yeah. And it's like the day that you do your dabs. Dabs are a crazy drug. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of dabs. I don't need my marijuana to be concentrated. I want my marijuana to have, like, no kick. I want. I miss mids. I want to smoke mids again. 